So, hello and welcome to Right Wing Dharma Squad's episode... I think we're on number six now? Is that really... Wow, the weeks fly by. Uh, I am your host, Dharma Kirti, joined with some friends of mine. Would you all like to introduce yourselves? Hey, it's Aura here. And I'm Kagyu. Unfortunately, Storm King isn't able to join us this week. We miss him and we look forward to him coming back. And, um, yeah... So the the topic this week that we wanted to discuss, um, we, we sort of mentioned for a while, was um, ethical conduct. I know we sort of teased at the end of last episode that we were going to talk about nirvana. Um, we're all big. Uh, no, I was going to make a cheesy joke about the Kurt Cobain band, but that was dumb. No, uh, we will. I think I think it's important to address common misconceptions about. Buddhism. We actually we all discuss this, and we all agree that there's you know a number of common misconceptions about Buddhism. Some of which have to do with ethical conduct, and which I'm sure we'll get into today. Um, but that talking about Nirvana or any kind of you know final goal, end state, Buddhahood, whatever you want to call it. it um, first of all, it's very hard to talk about, and second of all, it's very hard to talk about without just sounding like. Either you have no idea what you're talking about, or you're pretending like you have idea some idea what you're talking about. Neither of which is a very good look. So I don't know. We'll have to put a pin in that for now. But um, today we wanted to talk about ethical conduct, and I think Aura, you, you, I mean, you brought up before several times how you wanted to talk about precepts, and I thought um, maybe it'd be good if you wanted to talk a little about about why you thought it was so important. Yeah, that's good. Um... First of all, um, it's not that I, <laughs> not to contradict you right off the bat, it's not something that I'm necessarily itching to talk about, but it is really central, obviously, um, to any any spiritual practice, I should hope, certainly a Buddhist one, um, the concept of what, what constitutes um, ethical conduct, what con- constitutes right conduct and moral or immoral conduct, and now we can get into the, the gradations in the English language about the difference between those words, um, or maybe not. That might be a bit, <laughs> a bit pedantic. But, um, you know, I think as Westerners coming to Buddhism, one of the first things you'll, you'll come across is the idea of the moral precepts um, put in opposition to something like the Ten Commandments, which is... Um, it's an interesting juxtaposition to make, and I'll explain for our listeners who aren't Buddhists, you know, what the precepts are in just a moment. But um, if you read Western sources on this, and I don't mean translations of the uh, of the sutras or the teachings of, of Asian teachers, but I mean Western interpretations of it, you'll often find that, like, chapter one, paragraph one is something about how, you know, the precepts are suggestions and not laws brought down from on high. And um you know that's all well and good um but sometimes uh, as somebody who's no longer 17 i kind of wish that they would put uh not so much emphasis on that uh do you guys know what i'm talking about oh yes that's that tendency is just <laughs> yeah a yeah, little well, too much it, it's i i will actually i wouldn't uh, not exactly to push back but to contextualize somewhat some of that comes from Buddhists themselves, Western Buddhists especially, and then like kind of the, the westernizing element within Buddhism um, coming out of contact with the West, even on the part of non-Westerners, which is this idea of like this kind of caricature of Christian morality specifically as deriving from like, oh, Sky Daddy told me not to do this, so I'm not allowed to do this in some kind of arbitrary way. Um, but certainly that's not the case that like all that always gets caricatured in that way. But I mean, a lot of a lot of Westerners say that about Christianity. And so yeah. Buddhism well, it like, becomes a way to like differentiate Buddhism from like, you know, Buddhism is good because we don't have Sky Daddy. Right. Well, I mean, and I guess part of it is also there is a little bit more of an intrinsic flexibility expected with Buddhist ethics, because like building off of what we talked about last week, it has to do with maximizing compassion. And so sometimes an act that would be notionally really, in a typical scenario, really bad can sometimes be the most compassionate thing to do. Like referencing again, the the bodhisattva who kills a guy who's about to kill an entire ship full of people. Yeah, I mean, there is an element of, in Buddhism, the, the, the term is uh, in Sanskrit, upaya, um, 
or method. Uh, yeah, me skillful means is a common translation. It's not a terrible translation, but basically, like yeah, there is this emphasis on because the Buddhist ethics are, in a sense, you could say teleological. What what is good is what facilitates final awakening, final enlightenment, Buddhahood, etc. And what is bad is what is the opposite of that. Um, and so, you know, you can't, it's hard to say in advance, like, whether a particular action is good or bad. But that at the same time, we have this list of a particular list, actually, of, of 10 non-virtuous actions, which we'll get into in a second, which are, by and large, very similar to the Ten Commandments, in fact. Um, yeah. And it's really emphasized, and as it should be, that, you know, really, you should, like, if you're going to be violating, if you're going to be committing one of these 10 non-virtuous actions, you, you better have a not just a really good reason, but a lot of wisdom and insight that, that allows you to sort of contextualize it in a certain way to be like, well, yes, I am, uh, you know, saying something that's untrue, but I'm saying it in this particular context for this particular reason that's actually helping all beings attain enlightenment. And I know that because I have insight because I'm a bodhisattva on the boomies, on the like the yeah. bodhisattva levels. And if you're not in that kind of a situation, you should be telling the truth. You know, it, it's not, it's like, it doesn't. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You sorry, guys are just, no, you guys are far too charitable about the, the reason for that. I, I, I mean, I think that uh, like you sort of jokingly said, it's, uh, you know, when the Westerners do this or Western interpreters do this thing about like, oh, oh, we don't have Sky Daddy, therefore we're a more sophisticated religion. Uh, you said that sort of jokingly, but I, I, every time I come across it, it's not even jokingly. Like that is essentially. Oh, no, well, saying. you mistook my, I, I am mocking them. I am absolutely, yeah, okay. oh, that is well, a real thing, but I am and, mocking but it. But they often don't have the courage to just come out and say that's their motivation for telling you that. Um, so they, they kind of phrase it in this almost passive aggressive way about that. So, but I, the reason I even prefaced everything with that is that I, I would, I would tell to them, say to them, um, there, there actually is a pretty strict code of ethics, and it doesn't come down from like uh, Jehovah on the on the mountain or whatever. But it it <laughs> it does in fact come from uh, your moral teachers, who are in fact supposed to be listened well, what to. It, what and... it ultimately comes from, and this is sort of where I, you know, I ha you know, I have my own idiosyncratic, perhaps somewhat esoteric read on Christianity, but. Where it ultimately comes from, in a Buddhist sense, you could say, is is from the nature of reality itself. The, the reality is constituted in such a way that, you know, if you kill, uh, you will reap negative karma from that, quite likely, quite not necessarily, you know, we don't know for sure, and there's ways to mitigate it, but, you know, at some point in the future, like, if you're in a future life, if you don't attain, you know, you will be killed in a violent way, the same way you violently killed someone, etc., um, and, uh, what I would say from a kind of, because I'm part of what I'm doing here, I guess, is, is, a, as a, is a version of Christian apologetics. Um, you know, God is reality and truth also, right? So when you say like the, the, you know, ethical conduct or the prescriptions for ethical conduct come from God, sky dad, like Christians don't think God is sky dad. I mean, maybe some do, but what you're talking about is the nature of reality. And so you're saying, I mean, I think there's an important structural similarity there. I don't want to necessarily go too far down that road. I just wanted to point that out. I agree with that. No, absolutely. I mean, it's like kind of, you could, you could almost say it's like the natural law of the universe in either case. Yes. Yeah, definitely. 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 So again, um, I'll be the podcast police here for us and I'm going to quickly give our listeners yes, a, there's excellent. a there's a there are five precepts in a in some uh formulations of buddhism and there's also um an eight precept version and precepts uh are just yeah they're guidelines or rules essentially vow we and say then, we say like the the word in tibetan we often say vow is how it's like a more kind of direct yes yeah, yeah. Uh, and then there's another list of 10 and these, these get repeated so uh so the five precepts are they're actually, um, well, there's versions. There's the long versions. I'll give the short versions. It's just not to kill, not to steal, uh, not to commit what's called sexual misconduct, which is the one that gets skipped over in the West, um, to refrain from false speech and not to lie, and to to not take intoxicants, to not, uh, to not drink or get drunk. And then the version that includes eight is something that lay people occasionally take as like an extension of their vows for a period of um, like more intense medication. And it's the first five 
plus um, not not eating after 12 p.m. Uh, 12 p.m. not um, watching like music or shows or things like that and not sleeping on luxurious beds. Um, and those those last three are not necessarily because they bring you That's negative karma. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's like an austerity thing. In, yeah. um, but the in, first five are, are the ones that are considered like the core of yeah, ethical karma. So the a lot of these rules come from um, the vinaya or the um, I guess a, like a, the, the 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 discipline. Sometimes translate discipline, which is not a bad way to think about it. Basically, in 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 like archaic Buddhism, you know, this kind of, you know, Buddhism as it existed in the very early period from very early on, not necessarily at the time of the Buddha, but not that long after, um, there were three baskets of texts that are like the foundational texts. And, and to this day, even in situations where it's not necessarily super um, relevant, Buddhists in like, in, in terms of the tradition, often think in these terms of these three baskets, which are the sutras or the scriptures, the kind of the oral, the recorded oral discourses like that the Buddha taught at some place in time. It always starts, you know, at such and such a place in time. Thus have I heard at such and such a place in time, the Buddha sometimes, uh, you know, one of his uh, disciples and so on said some stuff. And those, those are the sutras. Then you have the uh, the Abhidharma, which is basically the kind of it's like it, really what it is is lists. It's a category. It's a it's a huge long category list of all of the different constituents of reality, and and this is what the Buddhist philosophical literature essentially grew out of. Um, and then you have the Vinaya, which are these rules essentially of things that monks, um, particularly monks need to follow and there's also all the kinds of entertaining stories in the vinaya it's actually a really interesting genre of literature um so for and, and there's different and there's different vinayas and that's actually what differentiates in, from a like, kind of internal buddhist perspective um what differentiates one lineage from another is really ultimately the the vinaya that's what the especially in the early days uh, what the most important thing was and there's like hundreds of these rules including def yeah things like you shouldn't eat after midday uh, you shouldn't sleep on luxurious um, bedding. There's also things about like uh, uh, what kind of begging bowls you're allowed to use, what kind of what color of the of the robes you're allowed to use. Um, all kinds. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of rules. There's different, you know, different numbers because there's different traditions. Um, but these get distilled into five, typically five. I mean, in my in in, in Tibetan thing is like. Um, the 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 thing about not eating after midday is basically in my experience never almost never followed um you would what people do is is uh they'll do like a special one or two day fasting practice um it would sort of and then you'll take this vow like i'm not going to eat either after midday or at all for like a day or two or something you know maybe longer but um it happens in that kind of a way but the five these uh killing lying stealing uh sexual misconduct and intoxication not being intoxicated which yeah there's some kind of a little bit of slipperiness there over, you know, does it mean not touching? Yeah. I think there's slipperiness on all five. Yeah, for sure. Well, and there's different yeah. definitions too. So the thing about sexual misconduct, it's interesting. So in the, um, I believe in um, early Mahayana literature with uh, Vasubandhu, either Vasubandhu or Asanga, something like that. I think it was one of the two compiled. He was like talking, he was basically writing, you know, about how do we understand the vows and basically, he said, you know, well, for, you know, for monks, any kind of sexual activity is like, including masturbation, anything like that is, um, and I want to get back to that in a second, but but that would be a breaking of the vow, although there's different grades of breaking of the vow. So for example, like, like you, if you are a monk and you have penetrative sex, um, that is you are no longer a monk. You have broken your vow. You like ontologically lost your status of being a monk. It's, it's actually this. I don't want to go down too far that rabbit hole. But like, yeah, like a vow is something that kind of physical in a way that gets transmitted. So if you have like a barrier between you and the person giving you the vow, you can't get the vow. But once you get the vow, if you have this kind of sex, then you lose the vow and you're no longer a monk. It's broken, done. Um, however, if you if there's other things that you can do short of that that would not be considered you're no longer a monk. Um, for a lay person, it's a little bit more ambiguous for obvious reasons. Um, and and so one of the earliest rules was actually that if, um, basically as a man, that 
The only thing that would really constitute a hard break of the vow against sexual misconduct would be to have sex not with just a woman, that, not with a woman that wasn't your wife, but with a woman that was someone else's wife. Um, and if you so, if you have sex with a woman that belongs to someone else, you have broken your vow against sexual misconduct. But if you're married and you have sex with some random woman that isn't your wife, eh, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so those five, that's the core, and I think there there is um, slipperiness around all of them, um, especially for lay people, um, especially for Westerners who are lay people who may not have been initiated in any particular tradition, right? So if we have, you know, if you're a Buddhist out there and you're just trying to meditate and you're trying to, like, start down the path, um, you know, you, a lot of people don't have a chosen school or they float around from this to that, and that's something to be addressed maybe <laughs> uh as well but Definitely. um many people are in that situation i know so you know for myself i was for a long time in a certain sense i still am because i'm not um uh, you know i haven't taken vows with any teacher of any one particular school um but i still try to conduct my life according to these these rules um i, I took vows so, against, sorry, against uh sexual uh everything except for intoxicants i knew i was never gonna that was just not because because as a lay person you, you can take any you don't have to monks have to take all five um, but lay people right. do not at least in in uh, in the Tibetan thing right so to get back to what you were saying what you guys are saying about it being sort of the the ultimate nature of the universe that it's not that you shouldn't break these because we told you so but you shouldn't break these because it's going to lead to suffering both uh, your own suffering and the suffering of others and, and that's sort of where the teaching on karma comes in um, you know, the Buddha didn't like invent karma <laughs> to uh, to punish people. People, first of all, he didn't invent it, and second of all, um, he didn't teach it because he thought he was going to like teach people a lesson or something. You know, <laughs> I mean, in in a very direct sense, yes, teaching people a lesson, but not not in the colloquial sense of like, oh, I'm going to learn you. Um, <clears throat> so, the idea is that uh, you're if you see your own karma with perfect clarity like if you're a fully enlightened buddha then you don't need the lists because um you can see what your actions what the repercussions of your actions are as you're doing them um and as you go further down the path as a lay person or just as a as a non-enlightened buddha you you actually get more and more clarity on these things incrementally in tiny increments but i i can definitely report it is actually a real phenomenon you get more clarity on the the interweavings of karma but you're still not going to see with anything even approaching perfect clarity i mean you're going to be totally muddled up most of the time so the the rules that are there the precepts are there to basically say look you're you're going to need some help um but uh, trust me on these ones don't do these ones um they're going to cause you bad karmic entanglements over time uh, so if you're interested in getting out of this mess of bad karma, suffering, and causing suffering for other people, then start here, um, take our word for it, and um, and and that you can begin, you know, committing, uh, doing ethical conduct, causing less suffering for yourself and on, for others. On that and note, later I want, sorry, when you're on, fully on, enlightened, on. then yeah, yeah, uh, right. later when you're fully enlightened, you can you can. On, on that note, I wanted to like I, I, maybe I was being a little bit too tongue in cheek, and, and I didn't want to uh, give the wrong impression. It is not a it is not a good idea. It will not help you or anyone else to go around sleeping with random people. That's not it's just because it doesn't you know. The point I was making before was really was just about. Um, cultural standards in Indian society 1800-ish years ago and what was considered totally egregious and and maybe what wasn't. But, you know, part of what's going on here also is that there are different um, different levels of, I don't maybe this doesn't exist so much in the Theravada tradition, but in the, in the Mahayana tradition, it's definitely a thing where, um, you know, different there's different levels of vows in terms of um for example the 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 focus so from a sense you know in one sense these vows these five vows in particular um you know we we we, we follow these vows because we want to attain enlightenment we want to attain liberation from suffering for for ourselves and that's good there's no we should want that that's that's good 
but then on from a Mahayana perspective, there's a, a layered on top of that. There's this additional element of the Bodhisattva vows, um, where in addition to wanting liberation from suffering for ourselves, we we our motivation is we want this for all sentient beings, and so then these vows acquire a different kind of um, there's a different perspective on them. There's a different you know it, it it's one thing to say. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie because of whatever. It's another thing to say I'm not going to lie because uh, I, I, you know, I, I really care for all sentient beings and I want, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a slight difference in perspective. I'm not making a whole lot of sense. Where I really wanted to go with this was in a tantric context in particular, um, you know, where we're, where we're concerned with the body. You know, uh, I, I, we, we kind of joke sometimes, you know, Twitter, our, our thing on Twitter is... is um, funny in this way that there's uh, a, but but the emission of semen is actually a big deal it's a huge deal in in tantric stuff and really you know while again it's not necessarily as bad as you know if you're a monk having penetrative sex or even if you're not a monk you know there's different levels and degrees actually any emission of semen that 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 isn't really aimed at conceiving a child and in particular a certain kind of like reincarnated buddha child um there there's it's a problem actually it's a kind of a you could even say sin i mean there's not a terrible translation i mean people say like oh sin is a christian word like yeah but you know it's kind of the same idea like in in a in a christian context in a sin the problem with sin isn't that sky daddy told you not to it's that sky daddy is ultimate truth, ultimate goodness, the ultimate nature of reality. And when you sin, you're turning away from that. So, you know, it, it, it's not like, oh, you shouldn't do this because I told you not to. It's no, you're cutting yourself off from the source of all life and goodness and truth when you do this. Right. And I mean, besides that, it's any kind of worldly action in a sense is turning you away from the ultimate goal here, which is awakening and thus kind of going beyond anything within samsara, these sort of illusions that we're attached to. And, of course, this is one of them. Any kind of sexual misconduct is, generally speaking, going to be a very powerful kind of samsaric illusion. In the yeah, I mean, from a Buddhist cosmological perspective, we are in what's called the desire realms. Like, we're stuck as humans or animals or whatever um, because we have a certain kind of desire or lust built into our experience. I mean, it's not, it's not something to beat yourself up about. I, I certainly struggle with this. Um, it, it's not that I'm, 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 I'm saying this is the perspective from the perspective of someone who's like educated on the topic to some extent, not as someone who is like conquered this. Just want to make, <laughs> just want to make that clear. But uh, the point is that, you know, it's not, you don't, it's not to beat yourself up. It's just to recognize or to attempt to recognize, you know, what is it? What is it about our situation as human beings from, you could even sort of say like a kind of like Heideggerian perspective, like what, there's something about our being in the world. There's something about our status as like subjects in, you know, clown world, so to speak, where we, we have this lust that's just really really strongly built in i not essential and it's really important to note it doesn't have to be there but it is there and, and until or unless we you know succeed at eradicating it it it's it's there um so that's a, no, no worries uh but but yeah so so that's you know and then there's this question is like well does indulging that actually help does that does that help us get out of this you know situation we're in where we suffer all the time, I probably, you know, I, I would submit probably not. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, you said, uh, you know, on, on our, our side of Twitter that it, it's sort of a joke or a meme about that. Um, and you're right, it is. But um, I, um, if any, anybody ever sees me joking or memeing about it, uh, I'm not really joking and I'm not memeing. I, I'm, I'm not either. And I think most people and, uh, aren't. I mean, very few people are. I, I, I think are. so too. Yeah. And I, I think... I think it's actually just a little bit of, um, uh, you know, just aware that it can make people uncomfortable or that it, it's kind of a funny topic because, you know, like just sex and stuff is just, you know, just well, it's such a titillating yeah, in yeah, general. So. The, um, there's a lot to say. The 
there's something about I don't know if it was built into secular liberalism as such. It might it might be I, I'm not sure, but the form that secular liberalism and the kind of pro, post Second World War liberal order has taken is particularly mm. since the turn of the 21st century is like absolute sexual license that that not just not just sexual activity but like not just i should say not just eros like erotic love which which can i think be um uh, transcendent it's, become not, it's come unerotic actually. yeah exactly it, it's totally unmoored from i mean it's purely about like i can derive pleasure in this particular way and my ability to derive pleasure in this particular way on my own terms for my own reasons whatever those are except uh, as long as it's consensual which is like the as long as it's legal of the boomer cuck thing um is not to be like any anything that obstructs that stands in the way of that um serves as any kind of check on that at all is like ultimate evil it's like what do you do you know it, it it's the it, yeah i mean we, we should continue on this but i want to hear what you have to say first no i mean just i i that's exactly the kind of that's what i was going to say you know it's um uh yeah, it's it's not a joke to me. Um, there's a there's a sense that, um, and this isn't necessarily a Buddhist thing, but whatever. Um, the that the retention of the semen um, for men uh, leads to, if done in the proper way, especially with meditation, leads to a, a sense of bodily fullness, um, a sense of sort of glowing interiority. Um, it's hard to put these things into words, um, and a sense of wholeness inside. what i would say is try it if you have i mean i don't know you know yeah. you guys but yeah. if you haven't tr try it yeah and it um it leaves it leads to a sense of steadiness it leads to um a sense of calm but like a radiant calm not this sort of dead dead calm that the you know that the uh <laughs> the enemy would probably tell you that that will come you know like oh if you don't you know, if you're not ejaculate any moment, you're not ejaculating. You're like, you know, <laughs> you're dead or yeah, something. I, yeah. It's quite the opposite. It's um, and and this is in a lot of you know Eastern traditions and 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 you know it's in Taoism, it's in the Vedanta, it's in um, it's in Ayurveda, it's in um, and so it's sort of leaked into uh, no pun intended some uh, I, I, the understanding of a lot of Buddhists in these in these traditions, even though it's may or may not be a central teaching i i really don't want to get down into the weeds about like I, which school teaches which this or that on this topic because yeah, i don't I think know what just, non i mean I, like i said my 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 knowledge is is i would even say primarily of like indian tantric materials that just sort of happen yeah. to make their way into tibet so yeah me too it's india and then china has a, a really deep yeah. teaching. yeah i know yeah that, and the Taoists have their own thing but it's very similar it um, is extremely similar, and, and it's and also very. Fact, I mean, if you like pay attention to the Christian thing, it there, it's yes. also similar to that too. So like, yes, you know, it's, it's extremely, like, wow, what a coincidence! All these people that are very bright and have made all these accomplishments are saying the exact same thing. Why don't we just throw away thousands of years of accumulated knowledge because it makes me feel good? I'm sure that'll work out just great. Yes, this is this <laughs> like, is one of the things the that was very convincing to me to even start giving it a try, you know, and and start <clears throat> trying to to learn it on my own is that is just observing um because there you know you can find articles now that that will explain to you how the the indian system the chinese system and like you said even the christian system uh have very similar teachings on some of this uh, but i was lucky enough to sort of discover at least the similarities between the chinese uh, like the taoist teaching and the like the yogic teachings from india um i i sort of noticed the similarity on my own which was a very profound moment for me to to be like well but this sounds just like that thing and like wait both these systems are like three thousand years old or yeah. whatever and then and so um so anyways the the to bring to actually to bring it to buddhism at least to my practice so i'm talking about the sense of fullness the sense of steadiness um it's almost like self-reliability but it's not just oh i can rely on myself because i didn't break this rule that i gave myself it's also just like I don't know. You just you just feel very steady and and calm, but radiant at the same time, just on a sort of baseline level. Um, and I've told you before, and we we talked about before this, um, maybe how you might do similar 
style of like bliss meditation in your um, tradition, uh, Dharmakirti. Uh, but certainly in my meditation, one of the primary practices is to sit quietly with the breath, um, to breathe in and out and to feel the how the 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 in and out physical breath um, is related to like the wind property in the body and uh, and you just sort of follow it. And it essentially the tie don't talk about this way, but it, it is actually following the chi. It's following the um, mm. the the wind element in the body. Um, and. I can say from experience um, and from studying quite a bit of this, like like just like UTK, I am um, not somebody who's mastered this, but I have, I am somebody who's read a lot and thought a lot about it and tried to practice it. Um, and so that this this sense of inner radiance, inner bliss, inner calm is much more powerful and easy to reach um, when you have a sort of a, a period in which you have yeah, in which you've you know retained our the our essence what, what i would say is uh what i think what i can say is um that there are three experiences that are associated with uh like emptiness meditation you call it emptiness meditation that is not um conceptual it's not just like a conceptual emptiness but in some sense you're actually doing the thing which are bliss clarity and and non-thought um, so there's no there's no mental activity of the of the of the you know not you're not thinking there's no none of that going on um, it's very clear it's very vivid um, and it's blissful and there is a kind of spontaneous joy um, that that um, it's it's <laughs> that's compare I mean it, it's funny because when you start if you start you know doing this and having these kind of they they, they say it's like a mute a mute experience um, of uh molasses like how does someone who can't speak talk about the taste of molasses you know it's it's like that and i mean I, when i when i when i first heard that metaphor i was like i mean i kind of get it and then when i you know first started doing these kinds of practices i was like oh yeah i really like you know, someone asked me to describe it like, mm, I don't <laughs> but um as far as the bliss element what's interesting is i mean like you said if you're not um if you're not there's this kind of implicit frame that if you're not literally having an orgasm right this second, that um, you know, there's you, you should be having an orgasm right this second. What's wrong with you? And what's funny is that kind of, so to speak, orgasmic bliss is available at every because it's the the whole point of that kind of meditation is that's actually the nature of experience. So it's actually built in to every moment. It's just for any one of a number or you know any number of reasons we're not experiencing it that way but that's actually how it is so that's available all the time um and it's precisely this kind of um obscuration that kind of pollution uh mental pollution that comes and, and physical and spiritual pollution that comes from engaging in negative activities and in in just chasing our desires instead of yeah like sitting calmly and focusing on the breath that's what prevents us from being able to experience it yes um kagu you're back did you uh yes um well and i think it's kind of the uh, i mean what you're saying is the it's kind of the distinction between illusory sorts of attachments like well let's just i guess i guess so like it seems like the management of clown world would prefer people spend all of their time looking for this kind of orgasmic bliss and just attaching themselves to it as much as they can it seems like it's pretty much the de facto official religion of clown world and even in like say some of these delightful forms of california buddhism we like to go into so much it seems a lot of people are being kind of flexible with the precepts specifically because it's like, oh, I want to, I want a spiritual practice that doesn't tell me I can't do butt stuff. Yeah. Well, and again, it gets back to like, what is the, at a certain level you're like sneak. I mean, it's not sneaking. I don't know how that's yes. kind of, but, but it's, it's, you're sneaking, as you said, natural law back into it because like, what, what is the per like, Again, it's not – there is a difference with Christian ethics in the sense that, you know, from a Christian perspective, at least in a kind of normal – normal, under normal conditions, you would talk about, you know, 
God created things with a purpose, and human sexuality has yes. a purpose in a certain way. And we Buddhists wouldn't wouldn't typically undergo. There's not that. It doesn't kind of go in that direction. But right. the point is actually kind of the same, which is like, okay, well, with I, we're spending a lot of time on sexual ethics, but that's fine because I mean I think you know killing don't kill. But I mean it's kind of unambiguous intoxication may be uh, also an interesting uh, sorry <laughs> okay well yeah there's nah. the captain <laughs> compassion thing and yes. demons and so on i think on. actually lying is the is the clearest one to me actually interesting yeah no i could i could get behind i once i there was once a uh, a very beautiful woman that i was um interested in seducing and we were discussing um precepts mm-hmm. and it, it like just sort of came up and she said at one point she said like oh i would have the hardest time with lying and stealing because i lie and steal all the time and it just instantly killed all my desire i just goes like oh you're bad news bye (laughs) well (laughs) i mean even lying though i can think of a lot of situations where i mean at least stretching the truth or not even telling the full truth yeah when i took my vows from the teacher that i took my vows from he was like the only thing he said at the time was like look sometimes there's going to be situations where telling the truth is just going to cause a lot of problems for you and to the people that you're telling whatever it is you're telling to and this this vow that you're taking against lying it's not to prevent you it's it's not to force you to say the truth in that situation and i was like okay that that makes sense right no but i think but that what do you do you remain silent uh i don't mean i think that's a question i mean it would depend on the situation you know sure but, yeah um Sorry, Kagyu, I cut you off. I, I, think no, fine. I think this is like the the proverbial you know jews in the attic in the in the in the thing, right? It's like, do you tell the? I mean, I, I, it's a stupid example for a lot of reasons, but I, I, the <laughs> the, po- the point that it's getting at, right, is um, is an interesting one, which is, you know, at what at what level is, you know, what when is it permissible, or under what conditions should we think about, you know, not saying saying something that's not strictly true, so to speak. Anyway, that that's um, yeah, no, I agree. Lying, that lying is maybe yeah, because killing, killing gets well. That gets into the back of the, the bodhisattva, and especially like so at a bodhisattva level, it's like you have the captain compassion angle, and then at a, at a tantric level, um, you have basically a command. Like it is a it is a terrible, terrible downfall of your tantric vows if you have the ability to liberate mm-hmm. demons, meaning like slay them and release them into a Buddha field. Uh, if you don't do that, you're breaking your tantric vows. Period. So, yeah, you know, it's it's just an interesting perspective. Well, I, did, what were you gonna? Were you, did you have something to say, Kagi? Because I don't want to respond to what DK said, but I no, I, I didn't know. have anything else to say about that. Well, I just on the 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 killing thing, and I, I this is not something I personally struggle with. Maybe it's because <clears throat> it's not something I've chosen to make central to my practice. But there is the question of. Because for some traditions, the killing also means not killing any any sentient beings at all, um, which is very difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then are you going to become a giantist and like you know sweep the ground in front of you yeah, to avoid right. killing? My <laughs> well, there's, okay, so this gets into something that we should. Uh, I mean, I didn't, you know, we went on this long, t- which is great. I thought it was great stuff, but um, there is an part of the angle here is that you need uh, typically classically under like the Abhidharma style categorization analysis uh, for four elements um in order to like for the action to really be the thing which is you need to intend um to to do the action you need to in like you need to will the killing you need to um uh oh man i'm forgetting all the uh oh yeah the object has to be the actual thing so you you have to be you have there has to be a real there has to be a sentient being that's a real sentient being you can't be mistaken about you know what it is that you're killing you have to actually intend to kill the action has to actually kill it and it has to be um completed uh it has to be like you actually you know you, you can't it, like, attempted murder is not the same thing as murder right so with the jane thing with like the sweeping of the it's not that it's not that you aren't in some sense karmically connected to beings that die as a result of you stepping on them for example but you, you didn't even know they were there you didn't intend to kill them. It's not. It's not that it's great, but it's not the same thing as a willful, completed action of killing. If that makes sense. Sure. Um, <clears throat> uh, 
Donny Sarapiku, uh, the, the teacher that I follow, points out something. Other teachers point this out, but he's really heavy on this. Um, that one of the best uses of the precepts, of the five precepts, is just increasing the, your own level of mindfulness, right? So especially on lying because, um, you know, there, there's deliberately lying, there's deliberately telling falsehoods and stuff, but then there's also just the kind of little fibs and, and little social grease kind of lies that we say throughout the day. Yes. Um, and it's really great practice. I mean, this is something that I do. I'm, I'm, I, I noticed this about myself, but the thing is I didn't used to notice this about myself. So this, I guess as I'm making progress, but I will exaggerate all the time. Like I will say, I'll say like, I don't know, I'm, I must have gone to that store, you know, 12 times now, I think, you know, um, and that's me not saying a million times because that's obvious, this obvious exaggeration or whatever, but maybe I've been to the store five times and for some fucking reason, I say 12 and, you know, I, I catch myself like, what is the use of that extra number? Now, am I really hurting anybody with that? No, probably not. But if I, um, well, it's interesting. Where's that coming from? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question. Yeah. It's like, and what, what's the point of it? And like, um, what's great is like without getting bogged down and like, you know, beating myself up over something as, you know, innocuous as that, what, what I want to emphasize is the flip side, which is like, if I am taking very seriously and almost, you know, very literally this, this precept against lying, then I'm watching my speech much more carefully. Um, and um, it's just sort of an observation of the mind. And it, again, it brings this sort of calm, this sort of trusting in myself that when I'm, that what's coming out of my mouth is, um, and we should mention that the 10, the list of 10 that we talked about before we started recording DK, because there's more in there about speech, which is one of the main things I wanted to address in this topic is the, the idea of what constitutes, you know, beneficial speech. Uh, but before we get to that, um, so that, that's one thing, like, for example, observing your speech and with killing, um, you know, I, I'm not a vegetarian or anything, and I don't really get into that about like the, the sentient beings and stuff um but one thing this uh teacher talks about is he's like you know you really oughtn't go around just um killing insects but now what if you get pests uh in your house does that mean you just let them run wild he said no but what it means is that if you want to avoid killing uh little bugs and pests and things is that you need to be very very thoughtful and careful about setting up your home in such a way that pests pests won't be attractive so that means you're going to clean things better you're going to um you know, lure lure pests away from your home as opposed to in your into your home. And again, the point is not to have like, uh, uh, you know, metaphysical uh, or ontological like purity on like never breaking this one. It's just that setting up your life and your actions in such a way that you are. It's some rules that you kind of just make yourself follow, and by doing so, um, you just you sort of extend your practice into the world off the cushion. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot yes. of sense. Yeah. So, um, DK, did you want to give that? Um, I, I really want to talk about the four the four ways of, of good speech in the list we talked about. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Well, so yeah, and then now we're that we're um, most of the way through, but that's not a that's not a problem. The the um, the, the the classical list going, and I believe it's an Abhidharma list of um, ten non virtuous actions includes three actions of body, three actions of mind, and four actions of speech. And these are the these are the main things um, to be to be avoided. Uh, and uh, did you want to go through them or or w would you mind? No, not at all. So so the um, the three of body are not to basically not killing, not stealing, not take strictly not to take what is not given, um, which you know, anyway, is a kind of interesting thing there too. And uh, sexual misconduct. And you'll notice, of course, that these are three out of the five. So the, the biggies are kind of included for the most part in, in body. Um, then as far as uh, speech, there is um, essentially not to lie, not to uh, uh, ch idle chatter or gossip. Um, and then with uh, uh, divisive speech and harsh speech are both singled out. Um, so divisive speech would be essentially, I mean, the kind of typical thing would be setting friends against each other, um, or trying to set people against each other. Um, and, uh, this also is particularly relevant because one of the worst thing, I think there's like, what is it? Like five deeds with immediate retribution they're called, which are like 
things that you do that upon your death immediately send you straight to hell. And um, these are killing your father, killing your mother, killing a Buddha, no, killing a Bodhisattva, harming a Buddha, and dividing the Sangha, dividing the Buddhist community. And these, any one of these five things um, sends you immediately straight to hell. So, and it's interesting that basically divisive speech aimed at the Buddhist community is one of, one of those five things. Um, and then harsh speech is, you know, it really being insulting and nasty. Um, and then as far as the, um, the, the three negative actions of mind, these are, uh, maliciousness, uh, or ill will, wishing harm, essentially, um, greedy thoughts, uh, covetousness, and, uh, wrong view, which in this context, I mean, this is kind of another one of those situations where, we, we, you know, it's it's sort of, um, there's multiple levels of analysis. In this context, typically, particularly at the most basic level, wrong view means the idea that there is no karma cause and effect, that I can commit these negative actions and nothing bad will happen to me, um, and that kind of thing. But you could also say, from a kind of more high-level, rarefied perspective, that wrong view at a certain level includes basically not recognizing emptiness, Etc. And so, to the extent that we are, you know, wandering around totally lost in our normal everyday existence, that's actually kind of a wrong view, and 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 a lot of our problems stem from that. It's just something to keep in mind. But but really, what this is talking about in this context, fundamentally, means this this being deluded or mistaken about karma, thinking being a nihilist about karma, like oh, I can kill and and rob and steal and and be a nasty asshole, and nothing bad's going to happen. Yeah, I guess there's a distinction between the wrong view about the about actions not having consequences versus a wrong view that maybe doesn't lead to liberation in the end. So having the wrong view of the metaphysical reality of emptiness is it's just not going to be it's just is going to harm you from eventually liberating yourself. Right. But it's not going to necessarily re result in a worse kind of uh, worse karma for yourself. Or well, it can't. I mean, it kind. I mean, I don't want to get too esoteric, but it kind of can. I mean, in the sense that um, if you have the wrong view of meditation, like you, people get stuck on just kind of you know breath meditation or, or in what, what are called the dhyanas, the um, these kind of like hmm, exotic contemplative states. Um, mm -hmm. Those would become if you if you have the wrong view that that oh I'm doing this meditation and I'm so great and this is all I need to do is just hang out in this exotic mental state. Um, that's a cause for rebirth in the god realms. So you'll derive some benefit, but then when that karma of being a god runs out, then you plunge <laughs> right back into you know desire realm and you're fucked. And so it doesn't actually help you attain you know get out of the cycle. That that right. is, is so again these things are all kind of subject to you, you and again I do want to say you're absolutely right there is this distinction and really wrong view in this context really means being nihilistic about karma but like with a lot of these things you know it, 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 it when you come at it from different perspectives then different things emerge that's all that makes sense yeah yeah so I kind of wanted to do a hard right turn into those um, to talking about. Uh, following those four um, directions on speech against uh, against lying, against divisive speech, against uh, harsh speech, and against idle chatter. Uh, for um, people who are using, like people on Twitter, like ourselves, like um, I, I, I'm not trying to be too cute about it, but I mean, do, do, do you guys ever like think about that? Like when you're on Twitter and you're well, shitposting? Now, it's funny, or, like, now that you mention it, I am, and I feel a little worse than I did before I thought about it, which is good. It means that I, you know, have stuff to feel bad about. But I've achieved my goal of making <laughs> you feel bad. But you know what? Oh, sorry, go on, Kagi. You first. Sometimes I feel like I do go too far, but a lot of the people who I am shit posting on Twitter, I feel really do kind of deserve it. Yeah, because they are making the world a worse. Exactly. Place. What What I would say is, I mean, th this is why number one, checking your motivation is really important, and number two, uh, you know, Borzoi says this all the time. Not just Borzoi, but I mean, he sort of rails on this a lot, and I think it's an important point. Uh, everything is performative online, absolutely everything. And so, like, yeah, of course, it's easy and to some extent expected, and to some extent, I would even say um, g good, maybe, to, like, you know, 
Dharmakirti, so quote unquote here is a persona, right? I'm adopting a certain persona that I'm like trying to do certain stuff. If I, if I had a different name, it would be a different persona and, and I'm not, you know, a hundred percent the same person I would be IRL. All of which is just to say when, when, uh, when it comes to like, like I don't just egregiously insult people for the sake. I mean, some people do and that, you know, whatever, but, um, I, to me, and I was actually talking about this with the the guys on Westward, particularly Bunny Bread, who's a little who's a little bit you know unsettled by some stuff. I was like, look, I don't buy the moral framework here. The moral framework of like, oh, you know, you're not allowed to say these words because they might. It's not. It's not even just like, oh, they might upset someone. It's it's this whole moral universe of you know the worst thing you can do is draw attention to things that everybody knows, but we can't say because you know if we acknowledge the reality of group differences or a kind of group character, you know, average statistical characteristics then something 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 prussian blue and like i just that whole framework is to me i see it as being just morally bankrupt and part of i think why it's important for people like us to to stand to, one of the things that we are doing or one of the things that i see myself as doing is attacking the foundations of that morality attacking the foundations of like because I, I mean which is an anti-morality ultimately as i see it so so it, it's just the whole thing like, i don't part of part of the shit posting thing is to say like you i would take you more seriously if you were a good person i would take you more seriously if you actually wanted what's best for 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 me and for all of us but you don't you're a liar you're a hypocrite and fuck you yeah, it's, a it's the totalitarian enforcement of a, a lie or a, a regime of lies. And so it's, um, you know, not, not to sound like the leftists themselves by framing it this way, but it, it's a, it's a you know, it's like an underground resistance to like a... Um, no, it absolutely, yeah, I mean, this, it's like kind of a basic bitch point regime. at this point, but like, do you think, like, all of us here using pseudonyms or on VPNs yes, and all yes. this shit, like, if we were, like, if you were actually resisting the power structure, like, do you think we would be the ones having to do this? Give me a fucking break. I, hey, I, I, in the Soviet Union in the 70s, the uh, if you started doing any kind of dissident work, guess what would happen? You'd lose your yeah, job. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Oh, I, gee, we, this looks familiar, yeah, doesn't it? Absolutely. I So, you know, and and uh, I don't want to belabor that point, and it's not super well. I, I actually, I, and I do need to go in a minute. Sorry, we have to cut it a little short. But um, was there was there another, uh, was there more you wanted to say on, on that point, Aura? Or um, did you have other thoughts? Well... Sure. Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> but I don't know how much time to. No, no, no. It's fine. We got. I got a little bit. I just wanted to to highlight that. Yeah. Um, no, it's just it's an interesting point because it's a difficult situation. Um, I, I find myself deleting tweets from time to time. I mean, first of all, I I don't expect anyone uh, who's listening to actually follow me. Maybe they do for updates. You should. On He's show, a good but, uh, follow well, luxury all, firearms. I, <laughs> uh, thanks. Yeah. I. I uh, but I, I tweet like once a week nowadays. Like I, I don't, I essentially don't tweet anymore, but sometimes I go on, uh, sometimes I start tweeting and replying and stuff. And then I often find myself going back and deleting stuff and thinking, well, what did this add? Especially when it's like responses to people that disagree with me, you know, or like, you know, when people quote tweet like some really outrageous, you know, bullshit from, from the left or whatever, you know, like especially the really hateful, like anti-white stuff and the, you know, just, uh, you know, sometimes it really, you know, makes me see red and then I, I start, uh, you know, I start, uh, yeah, I mean, I start resisting it. I, I, and I, I'm not ashamed of that or anything. I, everything you said, DK, I agree with in terms of like, you know, offering pushback against this kind of stuff. I mean, that that's why I'm here on this call. I mean, that's why, you know, I, I'm on this side of Twitter. So uh, on the other hand, sometimes I think now, what am I, what am I adding here? Like, what is this actually going to lead to the amelioration of the situation? Is it going to make my life any better? Anybody else's life? Is it even going to make this this other sure. person's life any better? Sure. And that's not to say that categorically it can never. And therefore, you know, don't tweet, don't offer resistance or something. I just find that in my case, like, it's it's a hotbed of like getting pissed off of you know of like. Well, if that's your relationship to it, then like yeah, that. it can be unhealthy. I I don't. I guess I have in some ways a thicker skin, or or my response is to channel tip. You know, for the most part, unless I'm just completely lying to myself, I. I channel that into ideas. I have, I you know, I say, okay, well, let's. How do I jam this narrative? 
or how do I reframe this? How do I, um, you know, I try to come up with something that, because I mean, I, I think about this stuff constantly. I mean, I, I'm, I'm always thinking it's one of my downfalls is, is I'm just always, always, always thinking. But one of the upsides of that is that that gives me a lot of time to refine my thoughts because I, you know, kind of go over them and come at them from different angles and strip away stuff. And, and, and that's what I've noticed for myself is, um, uh, you know, some of my tweets that have had more, sometimes it's just, I say something, you know, obnoxious, but it directed at people that are unpopular in our thing. And then it kind of takes off. But, but typically what I find when I, when I'm, what I'm most proud of is, is when I have something that, you know, I've been considering for a while and sort of thinking through and then, um, put it out there. And, and I find that that actually is, a, I mean, to me, I don't want to, you know, again, we always have to be very careful about this kind of stuff, but, um, I don't think it would come as a, you know, I, I, I um, what am I, how do I say this? I, I abandoned a certain kind of platform that I had potentially available, um, that was just not going to work. It was just not going to work for me. And, uh, I, I chose this platform instead. And, and I, I feel it's a lot, I mean, I'm a lot more free to speak my mind. Um, I'm a lot more able to get messages that I think are important out there, in, including very much things like, you know, compassion is important. You know, there's a, there's a point beyond just, you know, everything is impermanent. It, it said, you know, the Buddha, I'm a, I'm a, I, I am a Vajrayana practitioner. I have certain intellectual and ritual commitments that I think are important, et cetera. But, um, all I was going to say with that is, you know, it actually, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I was just rambling. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, you, you, you said something though. Like I, I get, I think I get, I, I just mean like there. Twitter, Twitter, you know, it, it's true that it can easily tip into idle gossip. The, you know, some, one of our fans of the show, I, I hope he's a fan still, um, ordinary or Zenite, you know, he's like, oh, I started a Twitter account because I wanted to essentially talk about Dharma, which is great. It's a good motivation. That was why I started Twitter, really, is, you know, I had this grand pollutant idea. I was like, oh, I want to, you know, do this thing to sort of like share my message within the kind of from a kind of right wing perspective. And it, of course, you know, within a very short period of time, it became 90 percent shitposting. Um, <laughs> but, you know. What's funny is the shit posting got me to a point now where I think, you know, it's not that I'm some big guy for, for you or whatever, but like it, it's um, I do. I think I hope have a certain amount of credibility, which means that when I say something um, related to Buddhism or practice or Dharma or whatever, that that is something that is going to be seriously considered. And and that is, in fact, something that I really care about very deeply. It's it's one of my primary, hopefully, to some extent, my primary motivation. And um so it, it, I, I just don't see, I think maybe for some people, it just becomes a way to, you know, vent or get angry or get out, you know, kind of outrage porn or just gossip or whatever. Um, and I'm, I, certainly I do a fair amount of that, maybe too much. But I, to me, Twitter is a platform, the, the platform and, and Twitter and all these podcasts and everything is a way for me to, I, I think, you know, maybe uh, egotistically that I have interesting things to say that what people would be benefited by hearing and if i didn't do this they, that would never happen so that's why i'm doing this and my goal is really just have contribute to an honest conversation because yeah. really clown world is a world of lies and of things that are fake and gay and so if we can sit down <laughs> yeah. and have sorry go on yeah yeah if we can if we can sit down and have an honest conversation or an honest place where people can come and and dig in and find the real answers then that's the best thing we can do because frankly i think truth is always going to be more powerful than lies anyway and yes. it's just a matter of getting it out there i want to recognize a couple of interesting comments uh before we go um flavortown resident said um uh, it's very relevant to what we just said the media nowadays encourages and even promotes degeneracy as well and you know that's true and you know i think that's something you hear a lot in our circles but it it does bear repeating that like i have to be honest you know like a part of me lives it lives in fear of being docs and the funny thing is like i i, I don't even know what i'm in you know I, I don't do or say anything that bad but yeah. i mean we're just Same. talking about like believing in morality yeah. and like not, not constantly <laughs> masturbating I, I, like, that's right like, well, I'm like a thought yeah. criminal because like exactly. I don't think you should constantly be looking at porn. Like that's the reality we live in. It's so 
fucking fuck that woman. <laughs> yeah. Or like, I don't want, I don't want white people to go. Like, I don't, I, I, I think it's bad. Like all this talk about like just eliminating white people. Like, I think that maybe you know, maybe cool it with the those kind of remarks and like older architecture. Oh, sorry. Sorry, no, no, go on. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Architecture oh. is prettier than modern architecture. Yeah, that's like some like, not now you're, wait, what are you, some kind of Nazi? Like, you <laughs> yeah, know I mean? Exactly. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, and um, Cole Robbie, uh, who always has great comments and questions, uh, asks, uh, does reincarnation tend to teach apathy towards those in bad conditions, like they obviously deserve it because of something they did previously? For example, the Hindu Hindu system of the caste system. Uh, I don't know what you guys would say, but to me... Um, Reincarnation is, that's a whole other topic for another day, of course, but the, the key teaching around reincarnation is the teaching on karma, which is that uh, actions uh, manifest themselves. Um, the karma itself is action. I, I always harp on that. Um, and it doesn't teach apathy in that sense. Um, it's, it's sort of a misreading of karma to think it has something to do with, like, deserving. Um so it, it it's more it, like newton's second law every action has an equal and opposite reaction right so it, it that does not mean if you see somebody suffering on the side of the road uh, it is not to prompt you to be like well that they got what they they had coming to them yeah um, the, the proper response is compassion and that i think is an important i mean i, I don't want to rag on quote-unquote hinduism which is a totally other thing and i think it can be even in that case somewhat um simplistic but yeah it's not when you see someone in a bad situation it irrespectively of whatever their meant you know their the continuum of their being did at some point in the past to wind up in this situation currently the proper response is compassion the proper response is oh that sucks let's see how that's how, right how can and i help you in a way that's going to get you liberated from suffering well and not only that it's like i've i, I know and at least some teachers dislike the term reincarnation as opposed to rebirth just because there is that kind of implication in there that there's more continuity between one lifetime and another than really is actually there i think it's the original dharmakirti not the, the original one was definitely emphasized the point that um the new being that is reborn is different from the being that came beforehand. And whatever karma that may have informed that new birth, it may not have even been from that previous lifetime. It could be from oh, one... Oh, yeah, karma comes from... You don't even know. I mean, unless, unless you're, like, totally enlightened, you have no idea of where karma... It could be from a million eons ago. You don't know. I don't know. So, like, yeah. who, and, and, and who's to say... Like in the next moment, like you're looking at, so you're looking at this beggar, right? And you're like, ah, ha, ha, you were greedy in your past life. You were an asshole in your past life. And now you're suffering, you know, and then next moment you get hit by a train, you're reborn in Vajra hell. Like, you know, cause, cause like, fuck you. I mean, it's, a, it's not, it's not that there's someone who's orchestrating it, right? It, it's just, people have no idea, you, you know, we, the, 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 the proper, again, the proper response here is compassion for suffering beings and the attempt to cultivate uh wisdom and merit you know we, we speak of these two accumulations um that lead to buddhahood which are the accumulation of wisdom and the accumulation of merit and th this is the actual protection from suffering this is the actual thing that we can do for people is to accumulate wisdom accumulate merit and get ourselves and others out of this cycle that that's all there's nothing about like oh they, you know this person is not if this doesn't help yeah, and if the question is, is a society that believes in and karma and uh, rebirth or reincarnation more likely to have a caste system because it's justified on a sort of macro level? I think that's an interesting question. Uh, I'm not ready to rule that out. Um, it is. I mean, possible, it, it right? might be, but is that better and, than like I mean, fake and gay communism and also, or like you know what? exactly? And you know, it's not just a. It's that. That's the only we. The only reason we think of it now is because that's the one that survived the longest. But if you look at medieval Europe, which was definitely right. not a, uh, definitely not a dharmic society. It this was a highly stratified place with very. Well, or, it was God's but, providence, and and again, I just exactly. ask, like, is that because like. You know, people often, and we should, I should, I have to go with this, but, but, you know, people often, there's, a, I think, a common response to, you know, the, the, the leftist horrified at human biodiversity, et cetera, is like, well, you didn't do anything to, you know, the, the problem that leftists have often is, is, well, you don't deserve, you know, the, the reason why um, it's bad to draw attention to human biodiversity is because, you know, you don't, there's some kind of sense of like, oh, you don't deserve, you know, there's something, people are just born into a bad situation and they don't deserve it. And so if we pay attention to like the causes of that by biologically or whatever, that we're somehow justifying it. It's like, well, you don't quote unquote deserve to be born with a higher IQ than a lower IQ. 
it, it doesn't it's nothing about deserving it's just well, how it's it two is two arms instead of one yeah exactly so like it, it doesn't it just doesn't have anything to do with that um i don't want to go again it's like i mean we psychologize them and there's a whole kind of interesting underlying worldview packed into there but but again it's just it's just not it's not about deserving it's just not it it, it it's it's about cause and effect that's that's i guess the the bottom line is is and and so much of this so much of buddhism um as a kind of um as a tradition really comes down to an analysis of causes and effects i would say uh is that is that a good place to end it is that okay i don't uh... i would say that nobody deserves anything that deserves and the good situation they're in and nobody deserves the bad situation you're in if you're in a good situation you should make the optimal use of it yeah and if you're in a bad situation you should try to see like how can i how can i fix it what's what's the best way to like improve my situation really in a sustainable long-term way focused on you know fixing the problem rather than you know putting a band-aid over it yes definitely okay so i think that's it for now unfortunately i have to go but i hope this has been enjoyable and uh, edifying for everyone um, I like uh, this kind of Q&A thing at the end. I don't know if we've really qualified, <laughs> but whatever, it's fine. We, you know, people throw out questions, we throw out our thoughts, and it's not, you know, don't take this to the bank, please. Um, with that, uh, hope to see you all next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care, everybody.